Hello and welcome to 1740 Podcast. We've got a very exciting and interesting guest today. I am Alexander War and I have next to me Maudie Lowe. Hello, nice to be here. Very nice to be here as well. We're all enjoying being here and what we're really looking forward to is talking to our guest. And before I introduce her, we're going to give a quick clip uh, to give you some idea of the way she uh, goes about things. Here's a list of notable people who have questioned who really wrote the works of William Shakespeare. Mark Twain, Henry James, Malcolm X, Sigmund Freud, C.S. Lewis, Robin Williams, Keanu Reeves, Orson Welles, Vladimir Nabokov, Walt Whitman. So if people tell you that it's a conspiracy theory, consider yourself in conspiracy with some of the most brilliant intellectuals who've ever lived. Follow for daily updates about Edward De Vere, the 17th Earl of Oxford, whose pen name was William Shakespeare. Wow. I mean, that is uh, a, a firepower like you've, like you've <laughs> never known it. That was 21 seconds on on TikTok uh, by our guest, uh, Phoebe Near, who lives in New York and seems to me to have set the whole of New York on fire with her TikTok series. Uh, She started, in my view, making uh, we're going to hear more from her about this, but making the whole of uh, New York think it's something very trendy and very swish to be an Oxfordian. Uh, Welcome to the podcast, Phoebe Near. We're delighted to have you. I'm honored and thrilled to be here. Um, I just want to say, Alexander, um, your YouTube series was a huge part of what uh, made me an Oxfordian, and I, you're really a hero of mine. So I was just so delighted to be um, invited. Uh, I'm massively touched and proud and feeling conceited for you to say that. So thank you very much. But in all honesty, the, the sort of things that I'm doing on the YouTube channel are very different from the things that you're doing. And I think they both have value in their own way. But I think what's really excites me about what you're doing is you seem to be reaching out to uh, to new new markets, if you like. If Oxfordians have ever talked about <laughs> things called markets. If there are such things, you're reaching out to them. And it's it's wonderful. And I think one of the things you seem to be doing is reaching to younger people. That's one thing. Uh, but tell us a little bit um, about TikTok, because everybody knows about YouTube. Uh, TikTok seems to be a slightly younger version of YouTube, but it, it it has a whole different ethos and a different way of communicating, doesn't it? So can you explain what, what it was that first made you think that the way to deal with the Oxfordian problem was to go via TikTok? Sure thing. Well, you know, I, I watched um, you. You have a, a special on, I think, like BBC, where it's like a piano, a passion, and watching it, I was like really moved because I was like, wow, this guy would, you know, sell the farm to be like a, a first-rate classical pianist, and then you somehow like, I think, are like sublimating your frustrations in that regard by being this like incredible, like Indiana Jones style, like swashbuckling Oxfordian researcher in a way that I like for me, my version of that is like, I would do anything to be like doing what you're doing, which is to say like on the most intimate of terms with Edward DeVere and, and, you know, his, his research and doing this kind of primary source work, I guess you have the advantage being located in England. So I, I, I have to acknowledge that you have a uh, unfair advantage there, but Um, For me, I was just like, well, I can't do that or that's not maybe the most efficient way for me to be um, supportive of this movement and the scholars who've inspired me so much. And so if I can take a harsh, cold look in the mirror and be like, well, where can I be useful? And I'm like, well, it definitely feels like there's room for growth in terms of outreach, in terms of getting people to recognize how thrilling and exciting and cool this is. And so I was like. 
like, I guess I'm going to be the TikTok girl. All right. And so I kind of made it um, a project last summer. And it's funny. Honestly, it's funny listening to that one because I think what you played is the first video I ever did, which is funny because the truth is I had no I like downloaded the TikTok app. Well, so here's how it really started. I read some article someplace that was saying that Zoomers don't even use Google necessarily as their primary search engine. And if they're looking something up, they're going to look it up on Instagram or on TikTok. And I was like, whoa, like that is, that is, I'm not a Zoomer. Like that blows my mind kind of in terms of how differently they're interacting with technology. And so I was like, well, let me see what happens if you search for Edward DeVere or Oxfordianism on TikTok. And sure enough, you know, nothing. So I was like, well, if, you know, if people are going to search on it, I want, there's an opportunity to, to, to build something here or to build a library or a catalog that people can stumble on. Um, and so I made it kind of my project last summer to do one video every day. Um, to be totally honest, um, I'm not sure I like, this is just a niche thing that I learned later, but like, if you start off with a video that makes it seem like you're more comfortable with the format, you basically where you come in on the algorithm, it sort of decides how highly to rank you. And I think that first video was a little bit clunky in terms of me not knowing what to do. And if I'd done more research before I kind of got it started, I might've ended up in a higher tier of, of um, viewership, but it went reasonably well. I don't like TikTok, which I think honestly is my, is my biggest obstacle with TikTok. And I have actually migrated to YouTube recently. So I don't really, we're going to talk about that in a minute, but, but but with TikTok, is it compulsory to be only about 30 seconds? Because I notice your things are, are really, really quick. Do you have to do that? Is that the rule of TikTok? Um, so basically it's, you, have you can do minutes up to like about to three minute videos however um if people don't make it through the whole video that down votes your um appeal to the algorithm and so you want to make videos where not only are people finishing it you can oftentimes people try and trick people into not even knowing that the the video ended so you'll cut it off in some kind of jagged and uh, like unsettling way to hope that people accidentally rewatch the video so there's all kinds of like kind of sleazy uh, tricks like that. Right. And I notice you you talk in a beautifully fast and erudite way anyway. I imagined when I watched your TikToks that you were talking fast because of this time limitation. And we know that the Edward de Vere subject is so big and so profuse and so complicated that you were managing to pack it into these 20-second soundbites. But in fact, you are a natural quick talker. So in some ways, TikTok suits you, no? I think TikTok suits me because if, you know, honestly, being a young woman is like a good is an is an asset in in TikTok, Um, you know, so. So, yeah, I, I, you know, raised on Gilbert and Sullivan, I definitely speak quickly. Um, But, yeah, I I, I still I still never really loved the the format. And I I, yeah, I think what you're doing on YouTube is much cooler. Um, what is it about TikTok do you think that appeals to the younger generation? I think it's it's a bioweapon d- ingeniously yeah. uh, developed by the Chinese to destroy <laughs> people's attention spans and um, uh, destabilize like society. Um, so I think it's very uh, cleverly uh, engineered um, to be appealing to young people. Uh, you know, I think that they're literally they do things like this is weird, but for for if you look there's young like middle schoolers there'll be a middle schooler and they'll have like videos like you know very small low engagement videos and then 
there'll be a video that gets a million views and it really feels like this kind of random jackpot type uh, feature in the in the algorithm where they'll have so every middle schooler in America has one friend in their middle school who randomly one day made a video saying like school's out for the summer yeah and then it got a million views and so they're all like addicted hoping that that's going to be them next like it really is is very uh sneaky and one of the things I wanted to ask you was the, the young who watch TikTok are they interested in the complexity of the character of Edward de Vere? Because in some ways, that's the, that's the key to being really gripped by this. There are two things. One's the mystery and the sort of conspiratorial hiding of the mystery by the contemporaries. And the second is the, this extraordinary character, Edward de Vere, who's at the center of this, who did all this, um, who I can tell that you're very enthusiastic about the way you talk about him. And it's getting that across to people. Do you feel you're able to get young people to be interested in an aristocrat of 400 years ago? Absolutely. I mean, that's no obstacle. I I, I really feel like um, when I started, you know, learning about Oxfordianism, um, this is like embarrassing to admit, but like my favorite thing growing up was like the Harry Potter books. And I was I was just obsessed and addicted to these books and, and the excitement of this kind of ongoing story. And I really felt like I felt like a kid again, um, discovering um, this kind of uh, ongoing, uh, you know, journey of discovery and all these wonderful scholars and this fascinating um person and and his life and time so i part of me i feel like i've been almost going for and this is kind of embarrassing but like one of my earlier sort of misfires on tiktok was i was like i'm going to try and make a video that's going to appeal to taylor swift fans cuz to be honest i was trying to talk to myself as a middle schooler which i was so lonely and i was so bored and my life felt so kind of dreary and there wasn't anything that felt intellectually stimulating or exciting and so i was reading all the time and now kids don't even do that they just are on their phones all the time but i was like there's something about being a fan and like a die hard fan and and looking for a part of being a part of community so i was like if i can get other people you know these girls who are have these online identities clearly looking to fill some kind of void with this like community around a musician or something so it's like they're they're there's uh they're right fodder for becoming obsessed with something better and new and so well you know you've mm -hmm. got a rival uh in this mission to get onto the taylor swift fans and do you know who that is no it's professor sir jonathan Bate, who 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 is this uh the highfalutin high I'm, yeah i know about jonathan uh, Bate. Platformian he's a scholar and he put out something last week saying that Taylor Swift was the greatest poet since Shakespeare and was comparable to Shakespeare and was brilliant Shakespeare, clearly trying to uh, suck up to the Taylor Swift fans. So good luck to you. You've got a competitor. <laughs> so funny. Oh, my God. No, can I tell you something? I do have some Swifty like my that video was bad, but I only and it didn't do well, but I got like six Swifties who have followed me throughout the entire TikTok channel, have seen every single video. And I was like, I cried like the first week of the TikTok thing. And I saw these like middle school girls who I saw myself in and this sort of lonely abject existence where you're scrolling on your phone. And then there's some like weird girl in New York City who's trying to like psyop them into being into Oxfordianism. And then there's, like, <laughs> but there's this weird connection and, and they're watching all these videos and like liking them. And, and then they're doing these sad selfies where they're these middle school girls trying to post selfies. And the whole thing was like really emotionally overwhelming. So um, 
who knows? Maybe maybe they're the ones who are like grooming me. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's a marvelous relationship and, and it seems to be working. Um, Maudi, tell us about this, because I think Phoebe's got something to do with it. So, Phoebe, a couple of months ago, The New Yorker ran a cartoon and it's two looks like two bullies um, mm-hmm. in a school playground bullying um, a, a younger boy. Uh, who looks a little bit geeky, traditionally geeky. And the caption is, word around school is you've been attributing Shakespeare's works to Edward de Vere. That is pretty amazing to be in the New Yorker magazine. Can you tell us a little bit about it? How did you feel when you saw it? I was so excited. That was so funny. Um, Well, okay, so I think there's a, I need to back up a little bit here, which is that um, more, I would say what I've found, I'm, I'm doing the TikTok stuff and I'm doing the YouTube videos because I felt like there was a void of like introductory level, um, content on YouTube that can then kind of onboard people into your work, into the other kind of more advanced scholarly work. What's been really most successful of any of these efforts in terms of trying to meme Oxfordianism into kind of the popular, like zeitgeist has been, um, throwing these events. So I, okay, this is a weird, this is a weird story. So I threw this event that was called the Devere ball. um, And I invited kind of social media influencer type people. Um, Basically I'm kind of involved with like a somewhat notorious uh, kind of like literary community or something that's in New York City that gets a disproportionate amount of press attention. And so I thought to myself, all right, there's kind of this, we're, there's all these trend pieces that are coming out related or adjacent to this like lit scene that I'm involved with. What if I just, and it's small and it's accessible and I can wrap my arms around it. And what if I just tried to saturate this lit scene with this like trend about Oxfordianism and tried to get write-ups on the basis of that. And so I threw this party called the Devere Ball, which ended up going really viral on Twitter and getting like a million impressions. Some of it was people making fun of it. Some of it was people really mad about it. Some of it was people very confused about it. But again, I was just over the moon delighted. I didn't see that coming. Like that was really kind of like the the deus ex machina moment that really launched this whole thing and gave me so much momentum to work with. So that I think ended up being what inspired, you know, the next month was that New Yorker cartoon. So what I was trying to bank on was the fact of like, I'm, a, you know, New York City is full of these kind of high leverage media people who are all on Twitter all day, who have a disproportionate amount of access um, to the press. And so that's sort of mostly what I've been playing on. And I was like, now I have to ask her to this like youth movement, which sounds exhausting, but that's clearly what people like. And I'm trying to run with it. And so I did another Devere ball. And then honestly, what, what's been nice is that I've managed to sort of take the notoriety of the Devere ball and to sort of transition it into making much more organic, just like educational events, where then I'll try and throw in something that's like a little bit sexy or like some kind of, but then I had an event on Friday, like t- two days ago. That was just, a. I called it much to do about pizza. And I had Bob Krechter come and talk to the group and it was just a party. And it was literally just a party where young people showed up and we had to talk about Oxfordianism. And it was just, it's, it's, I had to work hard to move from some big splashy party that was a pain in the ass to put on to literally just having a young people's social club about Shakespeare, which is 
all I ever wanted. So well, that's well, kind of what's going on. Am I right in thinking that Joe Rogan was talking about Shakespeare uh, very recently? It was indeed not being Shakespeare. With really? Someone, yes. Uh, someone called Eric. Uh, oh, dear. Oh, dear. Eric, Eric Weinstein. Eric, oh, Weinstein. Eric Weinstein. Weinstein. Got his yes. ass. I yeah. Mean, they okay. Whole, they didn't have a whole conversation about it, but it came. It came. They they mentioned it twice about Shakespeare not being Shakespeare. That's good intel. Okay. So yeah. So that is definitely that's that's up that's up downstream of my thing. Um, his brother Eric Weinstein's brother Brett Weinstein and his wife Heather Hying did a video on their YouTube channel. They're biologists, but they did a video on their YouTube channel. It's sort of like the intellectual dark web. So Eric Weinstein and his brother, Brett Weinstein and Joe Rogan were kind of figures in sort of like what's known as the intellectual dark web, which is like a maybe sort of more moderate or somewhat right-leaning heterodox political thing. And so there's an element of that related to like my kind of intellectual circle in the city. And so it's very weird. Like, again, these are these weird dynamics where the internet creates this weird amplification event where I knew that if I just got enough noise to get these people's attention who are sort of up the line in terms of influence and impact from where I am. And it, I mean, it seems to work. Like that's amazing to hear that Joe Rogan's talking about it. I hope that, I hope he'll do yes. an episode on it soon. So yes. Cause he has an enormous number of yeah. viewers, doesn't he? I mean, in He's the millions. And so one needs to persuade him that this is a very seriously interesting subject, which it is. Yeah. I can't really think of a better person for him to interview than you on this matter, actually, because you would be cheerful and um, give that energy to it. And and you, you've got a very good way of knowing uh, quickly what what turns people on about this subject. That's the, that's the key to it. A lot wow. of Oxfordians, bless their beautiful souls, are so deep in the, in the subject that they'll wander off onto something that's deeply esoteric without realising that the person who's listening to them actually doesn't understand the first word of what they're talking about. Um, but you can well, that's do that. a really generous thing to say. I always felt uncomfortable around this idea that I'm maybe taking attention away from the scholars who deserve the platform more. But for me, it really is just about trying to point people back towards the the knowledge that's been, you know, amassed by you guys. So, you know, if I'm if if you feel that I'm being successful in communicating and, and generating enthusiasm, that's that's really touching. 100%. For me. I would love to go to I Joe Rogan. There's any any form of competition between the sort of scholarly end or the your end or anything. It's all getting that message out yeah. uh, in whatever way excites people. And and as I said at the beginning, I think you're you're finding new markets, as we put it, which yeah. is really exciting. Mm -hmm. And and I think Joe Rogan should be your next stepping stone ambition is to is to get that fellow to concentrate um, and and get him to open it up to a hugely wider audience. Now, I don't know if you remember, but was it three or four or more years ago when the New York Times had a sort of educational supplement or some bit in it saying, um, well, look, it doesn't really matter who wrote the uh, plays. Would they do that a bit? But it went on. And this is the important bit. Uh, children love a mystery and if you can teach the authorship question to children they'll be so excited by that it'll get their minds into the Tudor era and get them wanting to watch Shakespeare plays and it's the best thing you can possibly do is to teach the authorship question were you aware of that no I wasn't aware of that I think it's that's that tracks for me I think that's very sound yeah, children. I mean, they love a mystery. I mean, I've done some talks in schools and 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 showed them how things turned upside down, have a different image, and you suddenly see Edward de Vere when you thought you were seeing a hand creeping out from a curtain and stuff. And they love it. They really, yeah. really love it. 
get extremely I think what I think even more so I think people um I think the political environment of the Elizabethan period and this idea of like censorship or political intrigue really resonates and this idea that this was a time in which people did have to kind of be careful in terms of what they said or you had to use allegory or sort of be clever or dog whistle to kind of get the message across like I think that you know pseudonymous writing for people on the internet or on Twitter is immediately resonant um it's like exactly the same thing so I've been trying to make the case that the Elizabethan period is um kind of spiritually similar to our own moment um in that regard do you feel that the zoomers are open and willing to learn about the authorship question yeah, I think that I think that you know I was having this conversation with my friend and I w- and we were trying to talk about why is it that people are interested? Why is it that it's striking a chord? What's going on? And I think he was like, you know, Phoebe. Frankly, anything would have been exciting to people. Just the fact that you're so enthusiastic about anything when everything is just sort of this kind of homogenized, very consumer packaged. You know, it it just feels like anything that feels. I think people, young people, want to feel excited or that there's. I think for me, what I love about it, honestly, is that there is um, this battle of trying to gain widespread recognition and to sort of kind of overthrow the institutions. That's like deeply resonant, I think, for younger people. Um, like, I think if it was if everybody knew about Oxfordianism, to be honest, I wouldn't have anything to to do with myself. So <laughs> I'm grateful that I'm coming in at this moment and it, it gives me something to do with my hands. And I think that um, the fact that even that it is sort of in a conspiratorial territory or there's a battle to be won, I think, is maybe something that. Yeah. It's a project that Zoomers and, and millennials can kind of throw their energy behind. And that's what excites me about it as well. Yeah. And, and also, where did your Oxfordian journey start? Uh, my Oxfordian journey started, I saw on YouTube, um, Hank Whittemore's Shakespeare's Treason. Um, and I was just blown away by it. It was just, it opened my mind. I never really put serious consideration into the Shakespeare authorship question before. And that, that was the start of it. And then from there, I found Alexander's YouTube videos. And then I just started reading everything I could kind of get my hands on and just became really obsessed very quickly. <laughs> yes. It, it, I mean, the, the internet is a real place for discovering truth about everything really yeah I, I I always see the Shakespeare authorship as one of the one of the great starters of 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 a cover-up and there's been endless other cover-ups and I think the internet's almost only good for one thing now is is discovering the truth but you do have to wade through an awful lot of misdirection and misdeception and deception it's a we're turning into a very very interesting world where truth and deception are battled out on a daily basis on on the internet and it's almost as though minds are are, are gravitating towards the internet to play that game and so in some ways you 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 are part of a of a wave of 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 a great movement uh that's going on at the moment and that the internet is turning into this place as i said that almost by default that that that's what we're doing what do you what do you think about that do you think that that this is a shame and we should really all be going back to to books and printed works or or do you think this is the best way forward and actually truth is coming out faster via the internet than it ever did through books oh man that's a really interesting question um well you know it's funny i do often think about in the Elizabethan period, how there's the kind of the advent of the popular press and the popular stage and how people are writing these, it fills people with anxiety. It certainly makes the government 
deeply anxious that people are able to communicate like this. And I think it makes people like, you know, the morality of going to the theater is in question. The, you know, the now everybody doesn't just have a Bible. What are we going to do about it? So definitely when they have these big updates in terms of the technology and then, you know, we kind of have to sink or swim. Um, I would say, you know, Alexander, a lot, a big theme in your work and research is this idea of like kind of initiation or secret society or this idea that there's sort of for the worthy, like not everybody can kind of participate in an in intellectual life on, on similar footing. And I feel kind of depressed in a lot of ways that I think maybe this kind of idea that we had where there was going to be, you know, with the advent of public schooling and there was going to be a Mozart on every corner and a Da Vinci in every, you know, cafeteria. And um, this idea that like kind of democratizing education would, would lead to, and I think there's a universe in which it did lead to, you know, wonderful results, but I don't know. I, I feel like probably what's going to end up happening is there's going to be extreme, um, stratification in the future in terms of I think probably there's going to be like an elite class like sort of a a, a neo-aristocracy that reads physical books that maybe plays piano or like classical instruments and then I think there's going to be a much larger segment of the population that is in sort of a post-literate digital video image-based sort of stage and I think that and then and then the two groups won't be able to talk to each other Yeah, no, and it'll sort of be like in Shakespeare where you have kind of all these kind of, you know, it feels like there's these aristocrats and then they meet people named like, you know, Bottom and Dogberry and there, you know, there's speaking different dialects. Like, I think we're going back towards this place of- History repeating itself in the modern age. Yeah, that's kind of where I think, like, I think that the internet, I think you have to be, your dopamine receptors, you have to be extremely disciplined to not- um, fall down all these bad rabbit holes and to even get to the point where you're finding content that's enriching you or or making you feel more intelligent as opposed to stupider because you can really take a wrong turn and just end up with pornography or something equivalent to pornography just filling up like even with the tiktok algorithm i had to be so disciplined in when i started and i I never watched the tiktok videos and now i almost never open the app unless i'm just trying to check and see if anybody's made new comments or something but you really basically it sees how you interact with stuff so if you if you engage with anything sexy or food that looks good or shopping that you want to do if you engage with any of that early on you're screwed because it'll just it'll make you addicted to it i was like I was such a Spartan. I like only watched or liked things that were incredibly boring videos about history. And it was incredibly dull. And I, my feet (laughs) is like, no one could get addicted to it if if their life depended on it. Um, But I I do feel like um, discipline and, and being really disciplined is the only, and I think, I don't know. I think it's too addictive. I think a lot of people aren't going to make it to the top of the mountain where you can have access to this amazing unlimited Alexander's library at library of Alexandria kind Mm -hmm. of resources. But I think that's, that's the top of the mountain and it's going to be a long climb for most people to get to that top of that mountain and everyone else is going to get stuck in different hell realms of pornography. Yes, they are. One of the things you were talking about, the, the, the black holes and the misdirections, and I presume that there are people coming at you and saying uh, you're talking piffle 
and this very suggestion that uh, Edward de Vere was Shakespeare's complete. In, in, in exactly those words, I'm constantly accused of talking piffle. Is that you, Alexander? <laughs> Is that you and your sock puppet account yelling at me? <laughs> no, well, I mean, we, we all get it. We know that there is this uh, fierce little band of, of resistors to our, to our theory. Um, have you come across uh, a, a fellow New Yorker of yours called Elizabeth Winkler, who has just come out with a new book called um, Shakespeare Was a Woman and Other Heresies? Has, has she crossed your path? Yeah, so I think she lives in D.C. actually, right? No? Oh, in D.C. Well, maybe, anyway, maybe. she's a very sharp and clever writer. and She's just written this book, uh, which talks about uh, those people who call people like you and me and Mordy uh, uh, call us uh, tin heads and right wingers and maniacs, whatever the rude <laughs> things they say. And those people, uh, by and large, are professors in American universities, people you would think <laughs> would know a little bit better. And I wonder, I wouldn't if, think so. Probably by going by the TikTok route, you've avoided their sneers and their attacks, have you? It's funny you should say that. No, that is something that's very. So this is a conversation that I have a lot with the Shakespeare Oxford Fellowship, and I think it's a, a generational. Uh, it's definitely, um, you know, I know that people who are scholars, as so many in the Oxfordian community are, um, you know, for them, it's, you know, you want to argue with the scholars and you want to see it being taught in schools. The good news and the alarming news is like, I feel like for people of my generation, the people that I've connected with on the Internet who are very, very bright, uh, kind of highly agentic, divergent, you know, smart people who are curious about stuff and want to read books. Like, you know, the, you know, the Simon and Garfunkel song, when I think back to all the crap I learned in high school, it's a wonder I can think at all. Like, I feel like there's a very boomer perspective of like, you know, we all know high school was lousy, you know, hey, teacher, leave the kids alone. But then college was this kind of, you know, kind of, uh, what is it, you know, on the hill, you know, you learned it was this kind of higher education. I think for people of my generation, if I meet somebody my age, and they had like a wonderful college education, and they learned so much in college, I'm like, red flag, red flag, like, you probably were just like indoctrinated with a bunch of crap and like, really are not I just I think very like even Ivy League education in some ways I'm like oh so I think the good news yeah I think it's a look I'm I'm very bullish on Oxfordianism because I think that but it's very scary we're in this total um, I think the institutions are really failing and crumbling and it's it's a very alarming scary moment so I think one of the good things that I'm looking forward to is that Oxfordianism can kind of ride that wave of the loss of credibility of these institutions, but it is depressing or it's, it, I think it, it, it bodes ill. So you were asking about Elizabeth Winkler. I'm, I'm yes. No, don't worry. But I mean, I'm just picking up on your last point that, uh, that we are untainted uh, by those institutions. That's why yep. we're going to ride that wave because yep. the professors have not allowed us to yep. publish in their peer reviewed uh, journals. Uh, they've kept us at arm's distance and we now have them completely surrounded. And there's just a, a bunch of six or seven ninnies in a little fort that's about to topple straight into the River Avon. <laughs> so we're See, gonna you get it. You and I get it. Like, yeah. like I, I feel like uh, people, I think, cause, and you're on the internet and I feel like you're kind of, honestly, I think that you as sort of a sort of uh, politically or more skeptical of kind of like, so I feel like a lot of in, when I talk to American based um 
scholars in the Oxfordian movement, they have this kind of much more pessimistic kind of learned helplessness where they're like, oh, you know, maybe one day. Whereas I think that if you're watching the trend of what's going on in the institutions, you can't help but feel heartened that they're collapsing and that we're going to win. Um, yeah, for me, true. I saw, did you guys see The Lost King, the movie that Steve Coogan did recently? No. No, tell us. That I've been talking about a lot because I think it's an important data point. So are you guys familiar with Philippa Langley? She's the Ricardian who found the Richard Third skeleton. Oh, yes, the- of course. Yes. So they made, so Steve Coogan made a Hollywood, you know, Sally Hawkins, I think, plays her. It's a big Hollywood biopic um, that premiered at, you know, the Toronto Film Festival. It was just in theaters. I saw it like a month ago. I wouldn't say it's the most incredible film I've ever seen, but it's a totally legit Hollywood movie and it takes place in 2012. And it's this sort of quirky, uh, you know, uh, uh, underdog story of this sort of seemingly no offense, like flaky and unstable, like middle-aged divorcee who failed out of her marketing career and yet somehow leapfrogged over the Academy to find this skeleton in a parking lot. And it's just, you know, you see all these harumphing experts and geniuses and professors telling her that she's an idiot and knows nothing. And she, you know, she wins really big. And, you know, it's like, I always, I keep joking. It's like, you know, in like Goodwill Hunting, where you have this like fake janitor at MIT. And then he's like, how you like them apples? And she literally finds like these bones, you know, in a park. It's like, it's just, there's bathos in every, around every corner of this story. But I love it because it's like, well, how did this happen? How did this happen? Well, there's a hint. She insists repeatedly that Shakespeare isn't telling the truth about historical facts around Richard III, that he's writing Tudor propaganda. And so she comes from this very weird emotional place where she's trying to like clear his name and defend him. And everybody's sort of put off by it because she seems to have some sort of like sexual interest. I don't know. She seems very emotionally. She's a weirdo, but it's like, but she's winning. She's insisting that Shakespeare's lying about Richard III. She is correct. That is what gives her the edge. And so I keep pointing to that to people and saying, you're looking at us and you're calling us conspiracy theorists and loonies and right wing or whatever you want to say. This happened in 2012 and all the dominoes are about to fall because the emperor wears no clothes right now and the cathedral is about to totally collapse. And right now it's just, you know, Shakespeare, it's totally bunk. Like the scholars, it's a totally bunk field. And so if you think that this is an incongruous and surprising story, there's 15 more of Philippa Langley's running around and you're about to in the next 10 years realize that the whole the whole house of cards is going to collapse. So I'm very optimistic just on the basis of pointing to that. Because when I talk to people who are skeptical, I say, okay, well, this really weird thing just happened and they just made a Hollywood movie about it. So there's something going on. There's something that's not what you think about who's right and who's wrong in this argument. I'd be very nervous if I were the Stratfordians. And they keep, you know, they keep every conference is the, you know, Shakespeare documented, <laughs> like the biography yeah. problem. Like they're, 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 you know, they're not in good, they're not in good shape. I saw that you had James O'Keefe of Project Veritas and now OMG fame there. Can you please talk about that? Is he an Oxfordian? Um, I think I, I think he I hope so. Um, he did the Band of Brothers speech, um, which yeah. is funny because in the, the video that he did where he was sort of announcing his resignation or not even announcing the resignation. Yeah, he does. He does it at the end. So I think he really got it. I think he deeply internalized the 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 Band of Brothers speech. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he's a highly intelligent man, isn't he? And yeah. and more and more and more, one, one sees that highly intelligent people, if they're just given 
half an hour to an hour of, of explanation of the Oxfordian case, they will be bright enough to realize that it's probably right. And then they'll go off and in the next few days, read a book and they'll be on side. I, I have had many encouraging conversations. Like I'll, I, I'll, I've been talking to a lot of press, like, look, this has all just been about trying to generate press. Like that's kind of the whole thing. Cause you know, again, it's like, I've, there's a lot of really depressing realities that I've had to confront. Um, and that have been, you know, even just this idea that like, okay, so Oxfordianism is correct. The scholarship is, you know, it's watertight. It's, it's correct. And yet, why do people not know? And how is it the, the 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 bad guys are still winning? And and why is it that people don't have attention spans? And why is it that you have to make it sexy or make it some stupid party or something where it's like people can't just sit down and read a book or it doesn't, you know, it, it's there's all kinds of depressing things that I have to confront as I try and communicate and get people's mm -hmm. attention and, and win here that make me sort of, yeah, it, it just brings up a lot of emotions for me. But, you know, we just need a publicist, basically. So I'm just trying to be a publicist. So I think um, I've had a lot of conversations with journalists because I don't think that you're going to convince people like the strategy of just if you can argue with James Shapiro or, or the professors in school, they're not actually that powerful. If you you can really have a lightning bolt moment with Correct. these kind of yeah. prestigious press moments or a TV mm. show or something like this. So that's kind of what I've been trying to build towards, because obviously the research and the scholarship is 100 years mature as a field. Um no, but I've talked to journalists recently and like all of them are like fanatical about Oxfordianism now. Yeah, like I had a, cool, a thing on Friday that we had a journalist show up. I literally had to kick him out. Like he was so into it. I had to, he was like the last guy at the party. I had to be like, you got to go home. Like, yeah. I mean, this is extraordinary. And, re and it, it comes back to the idea that really there aren't any Stratfordians. They don't exist. Yeah. I mean, that's to say, if you could count them, I mean, if you count the, uh, Shakespearean scholars who uh, who have big professors, professorships in the universities in England and America, uh, of those who are actually prepared to write a biography of Shakespeare and say that Shakespeare was William of Stratford. And we're talking about six or seven or ten people at most in the whole yeah. world, but they're powerful because they're professors. And the Oxfordian world seems to be to my view, divided among those who believe that the way to win this battle is to persuade those professors, those 10 professors, that yeah. they're wrong and to get them to recant. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I think if one of them, one of those big cheesers like Shapiro, which he never would, or Jonathan Bate, which he never would, etc. If one of those were to turn ranks and say, actually, you know what, I think I've got this wrong, that would be a massive game changer. However, I don't think it's really worth pursuing these people because, as I said just a moment ago, I think there's a great big world out there of bright, intelligent people who love Shakespeare and who 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 would as soon as they get onto this subject, they're in, enthralled by it to discover. I say, that's like, I say it's like um, there's a movie called Idiocracy, which came out like like 15 years ago. And it's like a Luke Wilson movie where Luke Wilson goes to the future and everybody's an idiot and so they're trying there's a famine because they can't grow crops because they keep trying to water the crops with Gatorade and then <laughs> he's like why don't you just use water and then they're like oh my god this guy's a genius so he becomes oh, yeah, like a president or yeah. something yeah and so I always say that it's like like uh, you know Oxfordianism is like water and so like you know Stratfordianism is like Gatorade where it's like you're trying to understand these like long passages which are clearly making references to the inside jokes that you're on the you know business end of and and then it's like oh oh now I actually get what this scene's about so I just feel like who's going to turn down like water you know what I mean like it's just better so 
I, I, yeah, I'm very optimistic. I think that, um, look, I think Sir Jonathan Bate is, is correct to be petitioning the Swifties who are ultimately our overlords. Um, you know, it's, it, you know, the Taylor Swift movement is, is more powerful than the Stratfordian movement. So he's right to try and win over allies. Yes. Well, I hope all the Taylor Swift fans who heard his message get so excited, they go onto Google and press Jonathan Bate and find him debating with me and losing flat down in front of an audience about the question of who wrote Shakespeare. I can name about six Swifties who might follow that path. (laughs) Yeah. Phoebe, where can listeners find you online apart from TikTok? YouTube, Phoebe DeBeer. I'm doing uh, YouTube, Phoebe DeBeer. We have a website now called um, rejectfakespear.com, which is, I feel really badly about this, by the way. The Edward DeVere Truther Society. I hope, I feel really bad. The whole, this is this is one of the biggest, I feel like if you're an Oxfordian, you've, you know, the two major challenges at this point are Edward DeVere was a genius and he kind of didn't want to be found. So you're kind of fighting against his brilliance, which is much more uh, formidable than that of, you know, Stratfordians. And then the second one is this SEO debacle whereby he's called Oxford, but that's the name of a university in England. And that's very confusing and people don't understand the titles of the gentry. So it's, it's just this total uh, problem. So I apologize. This is my long-winded apology that it's called the Edward DeVere Truther Society and that I was called the head of the DeVere Society in a recent article. So I feel really embarrassed about the whole thing. No, the whole thing was a joke anyway. So why, why, why don't you start the DeVere Society in America? Oh, okay. I mean, we've got, we've got a branch in Spain and we've got interest of someone starting one in Germany. Really? Right okay, away. that's interesting. All right. Well, okay, then I can say that it's, all right, I can say we're adjacent. I would be honored to be, I, I just, the whole thing was embarrassing and it's, it's, it's more confusion, but no, I guess there, there is actually a DeVere Society in Australia, but we're not, we're not really connected, but we're not cross with them. They've just set themselves up and said they're called the DeVere Society so far. Okay, so I'm not the only, uh, no, 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 you're, you're perfect. Copyright fair. violator. Okay. Whatever you're doing is good. And Thanks. generally, the spreading of all the news about this is is, is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And that brings me back to another problem I think we find in the scholarly end of, of this is scholars, Oxfordian scholars, I suppose like other scholars, they get immensely tense and ratty if they think something that they once said in 1934 has been repeated without acknowledgement. Um, and actually, I find that vast amounts of my stuff get repeated without acknowledgement, and I'm perfectly happy about it because my feeling is we're trying to spread the information and the news, and that and that facts don't belong uh, to individuals, whoever. Found well, you're them. much you're much more sanguine about it. I I feel uncomfortable about that all the time, and and this kind of I do feel like, and this was honestly, if you watch the Lost King, this the Steve Coogan movie, it. it opens basically this woman Philippa Langley was really mad that she felt that her achievements were sort of under uh she was sort of undermined by like then the University of Leicester which hadn't initially been supportive basically the movie's weird because it's sort of it's unsatisfying because right when you think it's like yay she found the bones and you want to watch the happy ending the last period of it is very dark because it's basically her getting shafted by people that are stealing credit for her and even the opening titles it says like this is her story so it's like Steve Coogan is setting you up to say that you know this woman was screwed over and so it turns into this kind of battle for credit and I don't know I've seen many sad stories and I feel like I do I guess for me I really do identify and feel for the scholars who aren't 
media whores who I feel like deserve more credit and have spent their whole lives. So, you know, this, this thing I did on Friday for, for Bob Prechter, you know, he spent 25 years writing his book and like, he says like six or seven people probably have like, you know, bought it and read the whole thing. And that to me is like, that would, that just drives me crazy. Like it makes me so upset. Um, Look, uh, I'm a big fan of Bob Brechter and I agree with you uh, that it's maddening that so much work and so much thought goes unread. However, I have remonstrated with him. I said, I, I can't read that much stuff off the screen. Please, please print it. Now, with him, and, and it is a remarkable thing he's done, and vast, vast bit of work. But he says to me, no, he's not going to put it on the print. And that's partly because he, I think he owns the contraption or the method or the way by which it's being read at the moment. And he's proud of that. But he must understand that, I mean, honestly, as much as I dearly want to read it, I can't read it in more than sort of two-minute bites because the reading off the screen makes my eyes go completely dizzy and faint. That's great feedback. That's really helpful to know. I, I can pass that along. Um, I, have, I, I agree. I plead with him. I, I pled with him. What's the past possible to plead? Anyway, pleaded. <laughs> no, I know. Yeah, no, it is these weird little things. Look, I keep having to, and it's like, okay, do you make the TikTok video? Like, how do you get it to people? How do you spoon feed it to people? Um, but yeah, no, I hear you. I And I, I think you have a very mature you know, you're, you're making your YouTube videos, which are very entertaining and, and watchable and, and delightful. Um, I don't know, I guess this is something I'm working through in my, in my personal life is this sort of sense of like, I don't know, it does make me sad that people don't have, I guess just, you know, it's easy to like in a Darwinian sense, beat out truth just by being a little bit more flashy or a little bit more attention grabbing. Well, look, I think you're kicking yourself too much because what you're doing, you're achieving great, great things. And I I respect you highly for saying, well, TikTok's not really a very good thing. And and it's a shame that I have to put on a ball in order to make anybody concentrate on this fascinating subject. But the fact is you're doing it and you've done it and it's working and something's happening. And those people or lots of people interact with your TikTok or with your balls or whatever, they will go away and they will start getting books out and they will start getting into this. So you are doing a wonderful job. Mm-hmm. And thank and, you. And I, I do sympathize, empathize, I should say, with with your moments of of, of self-doubt. And I have them too. I mean, about about YouTube, I think the problem with YouTube is I think you, you put those on, but people don't remember quite as well as if they've read read the same material in a book. And I keep saying to myself, shouldn't I be writing a book? Shouldn't I be doing that? Well, I have written a big one now, but um, it, 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 is a, it is a tricky thing. And um, we're all doing our best and you're doing something very, very, very special. So mm. please keep going. Don't have doubts. Yes. Uh, come back to us if you're thinking you're doing the wrong thing and we'll say no, Thank you're you. not a hundred times to you. <laughs> Thank you, Mario. <laughs> no, keep doing it. You're fantastic. I love Thank all your you videos guys. and uh, we will be supporting you fully from this side of the pond. Thank you. We really will. Um, so you've said how we can get hold of you or how people listening to this can find your stuff. Um, do you want to just repeat that one more time? And we sure. can we... Put it under our under the yes. We'll, we'll put it on the we'll website. We'll put it there well. too. So just remind us if you want to hear more of Phoebe Near and her brilliant ideas about Edward De Vere in Oxford. You do this. <laughs> um, Rejectfakespear.com is our uh, Edward De Vere Truther Society website, and I'm on YouTube and TikTok as Phoebe underscore De Vere.
Wonderful. And you're creating a community in New York that's obviously spreading way outside of the Big Apple to other cities in America. Joe Rogan is going to be your next big step, I can tell. Yeah. And we can't wait to hear you on that. And any strings you can pull or any of us can pull to make him invite you to come on. Uh, I think we should really get going on that. Absolutely. Um, be a great, great, great idea. Thank you, Phoebe, very, Thank very much. Thank you deeply. You guys are I amazing. I apologize Thank to you about the cuts in the in 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 the broadcast but I think we're going to stitch them together in yes. such a way that nobody will know <laughs> but because of the awfulness of that and because of the excellence of talking to you I really hope that we'll have another opportunity mm. uh, to do a 1740 podcast with you uh, and perhaps on that opportunity there won't be so many cuts and splots but I still think we've we've got a, a great program that people will enjoy thank you wonderful thank you guys when's the next event in England when can I come to the next Devere Society event so we're going okay. to have a meeting at the Charter House. I think that it's going to centre a little bit on the first folio because it's first folio year, 400th anniversary. So we'll be having some talks on that. And if you came, uh, you mm -hmm. wouldn't get away with it because we would ask you to <laughs> probably okay, stand, cool. stand up and give a little presentation if you would, because I know you would do that really excellently and it would be really great fun. Uh, but that will probably be in November, but we'll we'll keep you abreast of that. You're a member of the Devere Society, aren't you? So I am, absolutely, yeah. You know, you'll, you'll find out all the things that are going on. Uh, we're just entering a, a really exciting new phase, actually. We've got three books called Great Oxford have just come off the printing presses, um, and I think they're going to look very nice in a limited edition box set. After that, they go out on Amazon as independent paperbacks. Um, my first volume is arriving on Tuesday, volume one of the new Shakespeare illusion book, which I've written with. Congratulations. Uh, strip matter. Um, and I think that's, that's pretty exciting. Um, actually that was something that I, I lent to, uh, Elizabeth Winkler. Cool. And I see very happily that she did a lot of plundering from it for her book. Yeah, I'm really excited. I'm, I'm going to go to her uh, book event in like two weeks in, in New York. So I'm, I'm very excited to connect with her more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she, she's a good presenter, very good talker. She's very, very sharp. And her interviews with um, uh, Stanley Wells and Marjorie Garber, I, uh, these are Stratfordian scholars, are, are just so brilliant. I mean, she she just opens them up like a like a sort of can of beans and pours them all over the place <laughs> it is absolutely hysterical and brilliant yeah. she's done a great job so uh, with you and her and I, I see that America's in a a really fine place where this Oxfordian thing is going and I think you yeah. come and teach us some lessons about how to do it over here I'm happy to share whatever I've uh, cobbled together just an honor you guys have changed my life so I'm just so grateful to the Devere Society and um yeah Thank you, Phoebe. Very, very nice. We'll be in touch soon. Thank you. Lovely Bye. to meet you, Phoebe. Thank you. Bye. Bye.